everybody it's good to be here oops i'm supposed to go hello and welcome to open minds ufo radio this is your host alejandro rojas and this is the new show so just to uh share well you know what let me bring on my my special guest so uh, i'll explain how this is work going forward but i'll do that with my good friend present so he can put in some color commentary and uh here is the famous Hey, Spiegel. Hello. Well, hello there. And, you know, you mentioned color commentary. I realize that I've been in the, the sun a little bit, and the color <laughs> of my face makes me look like I'm, I'm living on the sun normally. <laughs> uh-huh. That's compared funny. To, compared to your lovely, lovely complexion. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Well, it's good you're getting out. Yeah, I, so, yeah, I know. Uh, amidst the pandemic uh, that's surrounding us, do, doing doing my best to get there under the actual sun and praying to the gods and the goddesses to help us all. So uh, hopefully you'll bear with me, Lee, but I've got a little bit of business to talk. So okay. uh, to let the audience know, and, and you, you can be informed too. So now that I'm back with the Open Mind UFO Radio, here's how it works. This is the live Friday live stream newscast. So essentially what I'll be doing here is every Friday I'll be talking about the UFO news of the week and I'll have a special guest with me. In this case, it is Lee Spiegel. If you heard my first little mini podcast kind of uh, announcing that I'll be coming back, uh, I did. we were talking about Martin being here, but he uh, that didn't work out. So, uh, so we've got, but of course we'll have various people and Martin will be back, sure. Uh, however... It will work a little differently in that my interviews, this won't really be an interview with Lee. Of course, Lee is going to share his vast knowledge in the topics that we're talking about and his educated opinion on all of this. But uh, And that's why we have him here. And and I think he'll probably uh, make us laugh a couple times along the way, which is the point is to kind of have a light, fun discussion about the UFO news of the week. But my interviews and my in-depth analysis, which is something new that I'm sharing, is, uh, you know, the lectures that I've done before. And I'm putting together new presentations, kind of deep diving into various topics. And those are called the Rojas Reports. I'm going to mostly do those on Wednesday. And those are a subscription service. So on Podbean, you could pay the buck fifty. And get access to those, or you can go to Patreon, and there's a couple levels. If you just want the audio, you can pay a dollar fifty there and get all the audio for everything I do. I'll upload the audio there, and and I'll do it, you know, on Podbean as well. And uh, if you are a patron at the higher level, the five dollar level, then you can join all of my live streams live. So, for instance, I did a behind the Pentagon 
live stream earlier this week where I detailed to the stars and ATIP and the whole history and how that came about. Really important to understand for people who don't. Um, but I posted that earlier this week. And if you were a Patreon patron uh, at that level, you could have joined us live and asked questions and things like people did. Uh, later today, I'm going to interview Brian Bender. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. He's a writer for Politico, used to be the defense and space editor. Now he's a course senior correspondent, but uh, he broke a very important story that we'll be talking about here in a minute. And um, so you'll be able to join us live and ask questions from Brian Bender or any of my guests. So all of that, like we used to do, the fun parts with the interviews and everything, that will be the Rojas reports. Please do subscribe. I hope you're not disappointed and and uh, that that information is now behind a paywall. However, one of the big reasons I had to leave is just this is very uh, expensive. It's really draining on resources uh, financially, time-wise, everything else. And I really want to keep this going. Uh, I think you all have been so uh, kind and you've really stressed how important it is that, you know, we have uh, these discussions about the credible information when it comes to UFOs. And I think it's really important because look where we are. The Senate is asking for UFO reports. We're yeah. in a new world where the credible information is much more important. Those of us who have been following the credible information have been above the, or ahead of the curve when it comes to all this stuff the mainstream's talking about. So let's stay ahead of the curve. Let's look for the credible information that's gonna be compelling to the mainstream and to the lawmakers out there and continue our conversations. And what's great about these live streams is it makes it more of a community because now we have these people who are live talking to us. Uh, so thank you to Connie, to Renee, to Mark, to uh, Tim, all of you who are joining live, uh, Armand, and uh, and thanking us for being back. Thank you all for being here. So that's how it will work. And Lee, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm great. I'm not sure if you can hear it yet, but there seems to be a, a storm approaching my area here on Long Island. Really? Yeah, the rain is starting. I can hear a little little rumble of thunder, unless it's it's from some otherworldly source, and they're they're just coming down. They need to be close by where I live so they can they can tune into the podcast. <laughs> I think they want to know what you and I are going to be talking about. <laughs> yeah, this will be fun. And just a reminder for people: um, yes, it is Lee from KGRA. Somebody asked. That's what this is about. This is not so much a conspiracy show. We do address them in that, you know, talking about any pertinent conspiracies that pop up. Uh, and, and certainly it's not to say that there aren't necessarily conspiracies, but it is more about that credible information and also approaching these conspiracies in that manner. And, and you know, uh, that's what's great. And why Lee and I have an affinity is that we kind of come from the journalism world. And you've got to be able to, and I would love your perspective on this, Lee. You have to be able to, and this is something I think a lot of UFO people, if I can use the term, uh, have, struggle with. You've got to be able to understand the perspective of the mainstream, not just mainstream science when you're writing about that for journalism, but mainstream media, you know, our colleagues. So, for instance, Lee, you were working in a in a newsroom at Huffington Post, you know, full of other writers, journalists, and skeptical by nature, rightfully so. And you were covering this topic. So, I mean, 
uh, you would have it in your face every day, that high bar that you have to meet to really get some something convincing out there to your colleagues in the public. Yeah, it, working in, in that newsroom uh, in, in the middle of New York City, the Huffington Post, I, you know, I kept, uh, I kept pinching myself uh, at, at my luck, and, and it was a combination of luck uh, and the fact that uh, my friend Buck Wolf, who was the, uh, the editor of it, at the time was called the Weird News section of Huffington Post, um, uh, he and I had both come from working at ABC News. He left ABC, went over to HuffPost, and shortly after he landed at HuffPost, he, he called and he said, uh, how happy are you over there at ABC? Because um, I need someone like you at HuffPost. Are you interested? And I said, well, I don't know. Um, <laughs> what, do you, what have you got? Make me an offer. And I went over to see him at, at HuffPost. He gave me the, the lay of the land. And he said, look, I, I'm doing weird news here. I've got a small staff, uh, but I need someone who has a background in UFOs and unexplained phenomena, which I had from eight years on NBC mm -hmm. radio in, in New York. And, and he, he said, if you're interested, um, it'll be the kind of situation here where you won't have to run past any story ideas un unless you really feel like it's necessary before you put something together and I'll be your editor. And I said, well, I, I can't ask for a better, better situation than that. And so I spent seven years at HuffPost as the only feature writer there dealing with not just UFOs, but the whole range of the paranormal. And, and, and as often as I could, um, I wrote stories that went across the boundaries of uh, the overlapping worlds of science and the paranormal. Because I, I, I wanted to do something to give, give science a chance to kind of uh, lend its voice there too. And so I was always, always looking, still always looking for scientists, people at universities, people at NASA, people within the government to, to get somebody to give their opinions on different topics that I wanted to talk about, uh, even if we disagreed on those subjects. Um, it was important for me to, to give the impression that I, I wasn't biased in any way whatsoever about the topics. I wanted to stay neutral because as, as a journalist, I have to. I, I think you feel the same way. Uh, we, we need to be presenting some kind of credibility in a field where there's not a lot of it. Uh, the media out there doesn't know how to handle a lot of the topics that you and I deal with. Uh, and so we have to kind of act as a, like a litmus paper uh, to have people filter their information through us. Uh, I, I try to stay away as possible from all the really whack jobs that are out there. And there are some there. I'm not naming names because I don't have to. You all know who you are, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, but I, I, I remember back, back in the days when before NBC first hired me, in uh, 1978, and uh, they, they said, we, we understand you're putting something together at the United Nations about UFOs, and we've heard about that. We'd be interested in having you come on NBC radio and do uh, nightly, daily UFO reports. Are you interested in that? And I said, well, well sure, uh, absolutely. What, what are the parameters? And they said, not really. Um, we think you, you know your stuff. You know what you're talking about. You have 
have had enough experience about it, even back then, in 1978, all that we ask of you is that you don't say anything on the air that could bring a lawsuit to us here mm -hmm. at NBC. And, and I thought, okay. And they said, right. um, be careful of the language you use because we're not, uh, you know, we're not a, a cable uh, radio network because there weren't any back then, I don't think, in 1978. This was years and decades before something called Sirius XM where you could go on the air and do and say anything you want. Uh, so I was I was very mindful of that, and uh, and it and it worked, and and it's still working for me on KGRA digital broadcast, uh, and and I'm having a great time interviewing people that uh, I wish I had known back then. But this is good because you always you and I we're always looking for good new interviews of people who have something interesting to say. It's all about getting good news out to the public. The public doesn't really know where to get accurate information from. I, Whenever mm -hmm. I do a presentation anywhere, mm -hmm. Alejandro, at the very beginning, uh, I always say to the audience, thank you for coming today. It's nice to have a, a good audience here. Uh, I will ask uh, two things of you today. Please, number one, don't believe anything I'm about to tell you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they, they don't know how to react to, to that. And, and I say to them, I, because if you're looking for information about UFOs or ghosts or, or sea serpents or ESP, the whole range of the paranormal, don't just rely on what I have to tell you, because I will present people who will help you form a good opinion of these things. Uh, and, and so that, that's my first question for you. Second question is, uh, what well, wasn't a question, it was a piece of advice. I would say to people, please don't only rely on ancient aliens on TV <laughs> to get all of your information. I'm not knocking this right. show, but I'm just saying it's a very popular show, but there, there are many other places where you could also get information. I, I always urge people, do your own homework. Do some legwork. Make some calls. You may not be uh, a journalist or a reporter, but, but if you want to find out more information, I will always provide links of places that you can go to, people you can read. Um, I'll always turn you on to someone like Alejandro Rojas and, and the Rojas Report, uh, people that I think are credible and will offer you the kind of stuff that you're looking for so that the next day when you're back working in your offices and you're standing around the water cooler and you want to talk about things that you've heard about, you, you'll have something to talk about and you'll be able to, to say things that you heard that come from credibility. And that's, that's pretty much all that I'm at right now. Right. And I mean, you like me are also open to criticism. I mean, I like oh, yeah. Yeah. people looking at my stuff and saying, Hey, what about this? Or what about that? Because I want to know if I missed something, yeah. I want to learn. And it may mean a follow-up article or, or a correction, but uh, I also want to make sure that I did a good job and, um, you know, got everything. And I think you're the same way. I try and do my best, um, especially when I'm doing my radio show. Uh, I, I will always come as prepared as I can to, to offer the information that I want to get across. Like even, even right now, today, I've, I've put some notes together. I don't mind saying that um, because I want to make sure that, that I, I like – dotting my I's and crossing my T's 
really carefully, especially with the information that I put out. And if I, if I make a mistake, if I say something inaccurate, I want someone to point it out and I'll apologize and I'll make a correction. It happened uh, a, a few times with Huffington Post where I had to go back and, and do uh, a correction at the bottom of a story where I had found something or someone had read it and pointed it out to me. Hey, you made a mistake. You said this or you gave this as the date and is the wrong date. And I will always make a correction and I don't mind using notes because frankly, if I have to rely totally on what's in my head, sometimes that frightens me. <laughs> so yeah, we'll see how that works. <laughs> and I, before we move away from this topic, I think it's important, especially going into the news that we're going to be talking about here, uh, because it pertains, you know, it's one of the reasons I, I guess I, I, I uh, have a lot of media or journalism people on, like I'm interviewing Byron Bender later today, because you know, we kind of come from a similar world and that uh, uh, like these topics we're talking about. And, you know, it's my intention. And I know people don't believe this of all media, but it is true of much more media than you may realize. Right. It's my intention when I get a hot tip on something to thoroughly uh, examine it and research it. And my duty is to the truth and sharing uh credible, valid information to the public. That's my duty beyond whether or not uh, what my friends say, what other people say, that's kind of a thing now. Well, so-and-so said this and so-and-so said that. Well, I respect those people, but it doesn't mean they're always right. I'm not always right. Nobody's always right. So we have to follow the data. So sometimes we get these hot tips and we end up having to debunk the story and it's not that we wanted to but that's where the data leads and at least i think with us who are more friendly to it and there is a difference if you're a mainstream journalist and you want substantiated information and if you get a hot tip and you follow that thread and it leads to something interesting you want to print that however that's not typically what happens typically what happens is unfortunately you find there were missing miss uh, information or people misunderstood something or something broke down along the lines and the story was not handed to you correct. So you got to correct, write the correct story, but at least you and I will be respectful of that where a lot of mainstream media, if they debunk it, then they're going to make fun of it as well. I, I um, will sometimes, I will sometimes, I used to do this more often uh, when I was at HuffPost, I would criticize uh, and I would get on, the, on, on a grandstand uh, or bandstand, and I would criticize a lot of international uh, media um, mm-hmm. that they just don't, you can tell, first of all, there's a lot of sloppy writing out there. Uh, they don't care whether or not they're getting the, even their grammar correct. They're not even doing correct, correctly formatted sentences. And, and they don't seem to care a lot about the facts. And they'll make things up or they'll, I mean, basically they'll, they'll just make certain things up. It's, and it's like you and I, we have this problem with a lot of, of stories. I hate, I hate stories when, when they always, they'll, they'll come up with any reason to use the word aliens in a headline right? or, or extraterrestrial. It must've been aliens seen over, over Montana, you know, citizens are stunned by extraterrestrial visits. Well, you, you can't say things like that. It's, and I'm not saying it wasn't aliens, it wasn't extraterrestrials, but boy, what do you think the chances are that, that 
uh, an extraterrestrial is just going to hang out uh, above a baseball game, for example, uh, and and cause problems. You did something years ago, if I recall, uh, involving a baseball game and 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 a vehicle that was seen by people in the stands. Do you remember that? Yeah, and that was a UFO hoax. Yeah. But it was perpetrated somewhat innocently by a marketing department. Right. Or marketing, uh, I forget what they were even marketing at this time. I, I know what they were marketing. It was in Canada. It was for a new planetarium. Oh, that's right. And and they had built, they had someone actually build what looked like a flying saucer, circular, with lights around it. And and they they even uh, they test they did test flights of it. And on the day in question or the night in question, they sent this thing off and and they sent it over to a nearby baseball stadium, I believe. And during the game, they had this thing rise up from behind center field or somewhere. So everybody in the stadium saw this thing and and it, it created a big ruckus. Now, mind you, it didn't have words around the bottom of it saying, hi, I'm representing the new planetarium. Come see us. No, <laughs> it was nothing like that. But 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 still, and I believe and I believe I gave you credit. You were the media guy who set this straight and who really did the work on it with your integrity. And I always, always applauded you for that. Well, and we played into their hands somewhat because uh, their idea was to try to get articles out there. So when I hunted that down, and wrote about it, then you wrote about it. So it right. gave them a bunch of publicity, which is exactly what they wanted. Yeah. And in a way, I feel a bit conflicted because they were hoaxing, but at the same time, it was somewhat clever and their planetarium or, or looked really cool. <laughs> yeah, and I was, I was happy to write the story. They even provided us with pictures of what the thing looked like when it was being built. And they did like a comparison of it kind of on the ground and then a comparison of that of when it was over the stadium so you could actually see that yeah somebody on earth made this but for a good reason um but at least they didn't try to perpetrate it as a hoax the way some people have through history through the ufo history where they've actually been hoaxers on a variety of, of stories claiming that they were visited and in some cases uh, taken for rides on ships. And, and, and again, I don't want people out there to think, oh, Spiegel's just now he's putting down the experience or the contactee, uh, the abduction UFO stories. No, I'm not doing that. Uh, all I'm saying is that we've got to be careful how we report these things so, so that everybody comes off looking really good and credible. And there's no place in what I do, no place for ridicule. I will never ridicule anyone in any stories and any shows that I do, because what's the point? Nobody, nobody benefits from that at all. And people's lives have been ruined because of the ridicule factor. And that, that simply has to go away forever. Mm -hmm. All right. So, uh, and one last question, actually, yeah. this is kind of turning into an interview, but I want to get your perspective on this because it's a brand new world. I mean, uh, I'm going to be interviewing, I keep bringing him up, Brian Bender, because right. I think he's just such an important uh, figure in this because he writes for Politico. I mean, it's a very yeah. uh, credible publication that typically covers what's going on in Washington, D.C. And, uh, and because of that, they have to be very careful about credibility and the whole ridicule factor. Yeah. So it's pretty, I think, uh, uh, 
notable that this senior correspondent for them has tackled the UFO topic. And over the last few years, he's had quite a few of the big scoops regarding uh, Washington and their interest in UFOs. Um, and then there's others like Tyler Rogaway, uh, you know, who writes for the Roar Zone that is also breaking great news. Of course, George Knapp is a mainstream journalist who's always been writing about yeah. this and continues to. But you also have, you know, Fox News jumping into the mix with lots of interviews with the TTSA people. So we're in this new world where now, you know, you're not one of the few kind of mainstream journalists out there trying to get the word out. There's a whole there's there's more of them. Um, how do you feel about that? I'm happy about that. I, I don't want to stand out as the only one out there reporting on this stuff in a credible way. No, I welcome everybody who wants to do that. That's that's the mm -hmm. whole point. And, and I always look at Politico, the political magazine, for stories there because th those are stories that I can rely on so that I can I can quote from them. And, and I did this uh, j just uh, on my own radio show last night. I, I will always give credit where credit is due. And you talk about Politico and Brian Bender, and this, this story, if, if I can s start jumping into this right now. No, let's not jump into oh, that yet. Okay. So let's hold that for a second, but I wanna just touch on one more topic because we had a question out yeah, here sure. in the chat um, regarding all this. Uh, Bim Jim, he says, journalists could have their articles proofread by a scientist. I have done proofreading for lawyers. And I do wanna address that because that's an issue. In fact, I had I was in a meeting with a bunch of Nobel laureate scientists, and this is just a conference room where we discussed a lot of this. In fact, you can go look on, uh, I think it was 3M that sponsored it. And if you find the video, you can see me defending journalists with these scientists. Yeah. Because it is kind of difficult. First of all, Lee and I have both had it where editors give us headlines that we don't like. We right. don't really feel represent our stories. Right. But second of all, uh, with its scientists, it's very hard because they're really in the weeds with the information. As a journalist writing on a science topic, typically I've got to take this extremely complicated um, issue, try to figure out how to explain it to the general population in a thousand words or sometimes less. And that's a really difficult. So there are times where I have had a scientist look over an article um, and if I trust that they can kind of understand what I'm trying to do here. But the problem is with scientists, you're never going to get it right because they're essentially wanting to get details in there. And you're kind of like, well, I get what you're doing, but nobody's going to get what you're saying. That's just too complicated. So it can be hard to balance that. And uh, scientists get really frustrated with the whole working with journalists. When I was, when I was writing for seven years at HuffPost, um, I didn't always read material that would come from scientists or scientific journals or universities. I would read uh, papers that had been written or other media sources had written about it for stories. And I would rewrite it so that I felt that it would be palatable for, for my readership. I didn't always feel like I had to send a finished story to a scientist who was involved in the story just to get their impressions. A, because you, you never know when a scientist or anyone is gonna have the time to read yourself and to give you their comments or their critique or their, their corrections. They're very busy. They're, they're, they're right. scientists or they're university teachers. 
they don't have the time to start reading a lot of things that other people have written about them. Basically, they're hoping that any stories written about them will be accurate. And so it's my responsibility, it was my responsibility, to do it as accurately as possible and to make it as understandable to the readers as possible because scientists will use phrases and terms and names and things that, that I wouldn't understand. And I would always have to go to my, rely on my dictionary or my thesaurus to figure out what, what the hell they were saying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to use words. And they, they often don't care about the article. A lot of people you interview are really excited because you're excited that they're going to get their name yeah. you know, out there printed in an article. Scientists often could care less if not, they're right. like, okay, quit wasting my time. I've got important work to do. Let's yeah. get it over with. So it, yeah. it is a struggle. And what, uh, I, what, I, what I like about what I'm doing now, and I'm, I'm not sure how you feel about this, the idea of doing a one-on-one -on -one interview with someone, um, it, and they've already agreed to the interview, and, and you kind of let them know ahead of time the kind of points and things you want to talk to them about. So they're already feeling comfortable before the interview begins and the interview starts and you get into the questions and it's like, well, they have to answer those questions in some form because they're, they're doing it live or pre-recorded. And if, if as the interviewer, if I don't think that they're answering my question, I'm always aware and I'm always having a dialogue with myself while I'm having a dialogue with them and basically saying, is this person answering my question? If not, I have to gently bring them back and ask them instead of saying, hey, but you're not answering my question. What's up? Right. You know, you want to be very careful about you. Basically, I don't want to piss anyone off when I'm talking to them because I want to keep, mm -hmm. you know, as as friendly as possible. And that's part of the job of being a journalist is you you want to get the information from them that you want to get. And sometimes, I'm sure you've had this as well, sometimes you'll ask a question and they don't want to answer it. I mean, and they'll even say to you, or you can feel it, well, I'm a little resistant about that, or I can't really answer that. And you got to figure out a way of getting around it. So they will somehow give you an answer because you know you've got an audience out there that also wants the answer. And they mm -hmm. won't be satisfied until you give them something that will make them hungry for more. It's 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 an interesting occupation we have, and uh, I haven't decided yet. Do I prefer writing about it or talking about it on radio? I'm I'm still mm -hmm. I'm still working on that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into the news. Just one more kind of behind the scenes. It's kind of cool. It's just sure. staring me in the face right now, okay. and I have not shared this with the audience yet. Um, which is that uh, this was really cool. I met Sean Cahill about a year ago at uh, Comic-Con because I invited them to our Den of Geek party. And uh, Lee Spiegel was there. And some of you may remember uh, we posted an interview with Sean Cahill and, and uh, Lou Elizondo uh, from that party uh, about a year ago uh, that you could see on YouTube. But Sean Cahill gave me this. So Lou Elizondo, his office is less than a mile away, the To The Stars office. In fact, yesterday I was riding my bike uh, out, you know, because that's where I ride my bike. Yeah. Either, you know, it's one of my bike rides. And so I took a selfie that I put on Instagram of me in front of the To The Stars store uh, because it's been all locked down. But uh, uh, and then 
I talked to you and FaceTime and you got to join me on my ride there. But right. uh, this was really neat. Sean Cahill gave me this. So Lou Elizondo in his office has a bunch of these coins. Um, they're called like challenge coins or what's the other word? Do you remember? But in the uh, military, you get these for awards and stuff. Oh, yeah. I don't remember. But, and that, and it's, it's really gorgeous. I love the flags. Yeah. But this is amazing. And this is one of the most important things to me. So they're a real honor when you get them. And Lou Elizondo has a row of them on his desk over here at To The Stars. I've got one. So I've got it right here on my desk. But this, if you can see, is from the Princeton. So Sean oh, yeah. Cahill, yes. when he saw the UFOs from the Princeton at the, the famous Nimitz event, right. he had two of these in his He had one in each pocket. And this sure. is one of them. And he felt... He just said he felt that, you know, because of the great work I do, that I was, I needed to have this. And wow. I'm just wow. so extremely flattered and I keep it right here on my desk. And it reminds me to keep on keeping on. What, what you don't um, keep it in your pocket when you're out there riding your bike? <laughs> I don't want to lose it. So I keep it right here on the desk to look at me when I do this. So that's a little inside right. Right uh, info. So thank you so much, Sean. I mean... I was, I got emotional when he gave that to me and it was at that comic con thing. And it was, it was, it was surprising. It was the first time we ever met face to face. So it was really oh, cool. Very cool. But anyway, let's move to the news. So the big news, and I don't know that there's really another story out there to be honest, but this is a big story. And uh, is that the uh, Senate intelligence committee in their bill for the essentially the intelligence spending uh, bill, they have uh, included a request for UFO or UAP information and uh, they want a report, but this report, and, and this is headed by Marco Rubio. This report is not just asking for, uh, you know, a report from the, the Navy, and I'm going to get into some of the background here real quick, but uh, it's asking for an exhaustive search for all of the summaries from essentially all of the different agencies that are looking into UAP. This is really interesting because they actually name the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force under the ONI, the Office of Naval Intelligence. That's really interesting because this appears to be, and we don't have this completely official, but people like Chris Mellon, who works for To The Stars and also worked for the Senate Intelligence Committee uh, during the Bush era, where it was his job to essentially get uh, Black Project and SAP information for the Senate Intelligence Committee when they requested it and also you know, provide reports on all of those Black Projects. So uh, Chris has said, yes, this essentially is the same group. I think uh, Lou Elizondo said that too. And they're actually going to have a podcast soon where all of them are talking about this. And that ought to be very interesting. But uh, Lou, the ATIP originally was under the DIA, Defense Intelligence Agency. Then when Lou took it over, kind of, and it turned into the UFO thing, uh, all of this, which I reviewed on my my. Uh, Rojas report from Wednesday, but when Lou took it over, Lou Elizondo worked for the OSD, the Office of the Secretary of Defense, so he moved it over there. Now we get this thing coming out that's saying the Office of Naval Intelligence, the ONI, is oversight for this project. 
So apparently, at least from what I've heard from people in the know, such as Tim McMillan, who's been talking to some of the people involved, that uh, ONI has essentially kind of taken over, even though it's still kind of housed in the OSD and it's a, it's a multi-agency thing. So Roger Gassel, a UFO researcher who's been doing lots of FOIAs and has also been in communication with the press people at the Department of Defense, he got them to admit that, you know, these UAP investigations do still continue. And they it is a multi-agency uh, kind of cooperative thing. And uh, essentially, they're admitting Another thing that they denied that Lou Elizondo has been telling us since right. December of 2017, which is that that program that he ran continues to this day. So it's yet another thing that the DOD has denied that uh, Lou Elizondo has been saying that has been confirmed. So it's gotten so much momentum. You know, Brian Bender broke the story that a year ago, the uh, Senate, these con Congress people were uh, briefed on the UAP situation. And now we see that they're still taking it very seriously and they want this exhaustive report. I do want to mention too that Danny Silva, uh, he was one of the first people to get that information out there along with another gentleman. And I'm going to go look up his name in, in a sec so we can get that name out there. So we'll talk about Brown with Brian later today on what his sources were and how he came across the story. But of course, Brian behind the scenes is talking to these people in Washington every day so pretty shocking revelation holly yeah um and um, several interesting points about it this entire report that senator marco rubio of florida uh has filed to, to get the information they're looking to get detailed a, a detailed analysis of all data collected on uap with the ultimate goal they say is to make it accessible to the public and there's there's the rub really so, so i i somehow can't imagine that everything that they discover in their in their analysis is going to be very quickly made public because could the public really handle or understand all of the information that that they're going to collect and as as political magazine as brian wrote and and i'll let me just quote directly from it uh it said the committee remains concerned that there is no unified, comprehensive process within the federal government for collecting and analyzing intelligence on unidentified aerial phenomena, despite the potential threat, end quote. So there, there's the, the thing for me is, so they are clearly considering these U, UAPs or UFOs as a potential threat. Now, for all those people who insist that the UFO UAP experience can be blamed on the technology of other countries like Russia and China, it, it, it may not be that cut and dry, but at the very least, it now appears that after many years of the government and military being very close-mouthed about UFOs, now suddenly, as you say, this topic is now it's on an official Senate agenda. And in, in, in reading uh, about this, uh, and as a result of, um, of the, the US Senate's concern over these close encounters with UAPs, they, they've occurred in recent years with America's military forces. And, and that call for the review of the UAPs is part of a report 
called the Intelligence Authorization Act. And it's for the fiscal year of 2021. And uh, as, as we both said before, Senator Rubio has already submitted that report. And, and I'm, I'm wondering what you think. Do you, do you think, Alejandro, that, that anything will actually come of this UAP review? What, what kind of threat to our national security would they likely find? What do you think? Well, I think that um, the term threat, and I think it's a really important one, doesn't necessarily mean that they've come to the conclusion that these uh, were under attack or there's a certain right. particular danger. But, and I think this is important because a lot of people get on this point. They keep saying this is a threat. They're a danger. They're bad. Why are they saying that? They don't even know that. Well, they don't know that. However, anything that is unidentified by is, is a threat. We don't know intentions. We don't know what it is. It could be a weapon. When it's your job to secure the safety of not just the citizens, but your own uh, military personnel, then that's a really big deal. I think an example of this would be Kevin Day. Kevin Day, who is a radar operator, um, says he was very uh, emotionally affected by what happened. And that's because like he says, it was my job to watch those radar screens and make sure there were no incursions by any unknowns. And if they were, to identify them, to scramble, uh, to go take care of this issue. Typically in his career, that meant drug runners, um, you know, yeah. people yeah. veering off course, drones, things like that. But in this situation, they didn't know what it was. His last go, too, he retired soon after that. So he was very emotionally affected because there was something flying around out there, his job to protect the airspace, and he didn't know what it was and had to retire and still does not know what it was. Uh, ben Hansen put it, I think he put a, has a really great uh, explanation for this. Our, our good mutual friend who is on the Travel Channel quite a bit these days doing paranormal shows. But he put it like this. Um, here's why they would consider it a threat. If you woke up in the morning and you went to the kitchen and you saw footsteps and, you know, someone had come and walked in your house and left, they're gone. They're no current threat at that point. But you're not going to feel very comfortable about that. Even if whoever walked into your house was friendly and the nicest person in the world, then they came in to help themselves to, you know, an apple or something and left. Even if there were no malintent by that person who entered your house, you're still going to be ve feel very threatened and you're going to want to secure your home uh, so that doesn't happen again because you don't know the intentions of this person coming into your house and may threaten you and your family. Right. It's like that. Uh, not only that, uh, it also justifies budgets. This is the defense department. This isn't the happy shake hands interplanetary uh, diplomacy department. Right. Um, and we don't even know if there's aliens involved. So I think that that factor is really important in calling it a threat. Uh, so if it's an unidentified, if there are true incursions from uh, technology that we don't know the origin, what origins are, then that it, it fits a threat. And if that's what these guys have determined, that's what the Senate Intelligence Committee wants to know. The other part of this, will something come of it? I think so, and here's why. Like you said, and I was going to look for the papers, and maybe I will look for this quote. Um, there's a direct quote. Oh, oh, by the way, Steve McDaniel, 
was the other person who shared this uh, information right off the bat really early on. But here is uh, some of the information. And the important part that I want to find here is what you talked about, where they said they want this to be in the public. Right. And essentially, um, the committee understands that the relevant intelligence may be sensitive. Nevertheless, the committee finds that the information sharing and coordination across the intelligence community has been inconsistent, like you're saying. Um, but that, that was just a point. They want a public, a public report, although they say some of the information could be sensitive. Right. So they get it that, you know, if we were to ask you for a report, we would want you to uh, normally the report might have to be classified because the information is classified, but we want a public report. So even if a lot of this does uh, contain classified information, they want a sort of summary. They want them to make a concerted effort to have public statements about this. So they want this information in the public. Likely it is because if they are to take it seriously, they have to substantiate the credibility of that. Uh, so they've got to have a public report that shows, hey, us and guys in the Senate committee aren't UFO goofballs. There's a real legitimate reason why we want to look into this. So that's really important. And it also indicates, I think, a lot of momentum because this isn't the first one to go ask for this sort of information. John McCain did. Uh, right. There was another representative in the House, and I forget his name. It was Warner or Walker. Somebody told me I had those names mixed up, and I think it was Warner. Another story that uh, Brian Bender broke, and I'll have to update. But regardless, there are other politicians that have been asking for this information. So I think even if this fails, even if for some reason this gets removed from the bill, uh, that there's enough momentum that people like Marco Rubio and uh, other people in Congress, I'm hearing this from the two, the stars guys and from Brian Bender, that there's enough people that want to know that uh, I think that they're going to get that information one way or another. This is one attempt to get it, uh, but they'll try others if this doesn't work. And, you know, I'm a great believer in looking at things historically and not forgetting certain things that have been, that have already taken place, that have been said, that have been written about. And, and every time, you know, every time I hear the phrase national security, certain little bells go off in my head. Where have I heard that phrase before? related to UFOs. And the, the first one that comes to mind is, gee, do we all remember uh, back in 1969, that was the year that uh, the U United States Air Force's Project Blue Book ended after decades of investigating more than 12,000 UFO sightings and reports. 69 is, is when it ended. And it issued as part of its deletion of Project Blue Book from the, the public, it issued a statement. Uh, and part of that statement read, quote, no UFO report, no, no see, I want to get this right. See, just like I said before, quote, <laughs> no UFO reported, investigated, and evaluated by the Air Force 
was ever an indication of threat to our national security, end quote. Now, you see, they, they keep saying that, they keep harping upon that, but now we know that that was just not true. In fact, la on my program last night, I had um, retired Air Force Captain Robert Salas, and, and I read that quote to him on the air, and I said, so, so Captain, was that a true statement that the Air Force wrote in 69? I said, no, it was all a lie. And we now know for sure um, that, that national security does come into play here. Anything that involves any objects that are in the skies above our country, any country, anywhere, that are flying around with impunity and can go anywhere they want, whenever they want, um, that's considered something to do with national security, especially if we don't know what their purpose is, what their intention is. And, and, and I'm not talking about just uh, encounters with uh, Air Force or Navy pilots. What about all the encounters between commercial airline pilots who've had weird things happen to them while they were flying from one location to another and that they saw things in the cockpit and on many occasions passengers also saw similar things and and yet we know now you, pilots aren't supposed to talk about this um there's a there's a there's a, an organization called narcap that was created by dr richard haynes former nasa scientist specifically for pilots who want to report strange occurrences that happen to them, but they're not allowed to talk about it from the commercial airline companies, so they can report anonymously through NARCAP and Dr. Haynes's site. And, and through his help, I've been able to, I, perhaps you have too, been able to interview some pilots who said, yeah, these things are out there. When they approach you, you don't know what to do. You don't have a lot of time to make snap decisions, especially if you've got passengers and, and you're like responsible for their lives, their safety. And and the airlines would rather we not talk about it. I mean, imagine, Alejandro, what airline company is going to make any kind of an announcement and say, well, folks, yes, we understand that some of our pilots have been reporting certain things. Uh, it doesn't seem to be any aggressive behavior toward them by these unknown objects. So um, we think that it's still okay to fly the friendly skies. We'll, we'll keep you informed about what's yeah. But they never keep anybody informed. They just won't talk about it because, hey, would yeah. it be for business? Probably not. Well, and I think that's the key there. I think you've got a great point uh, in the Chicago hair incident, uh, for example, in what, 2008, uh, it was, it happened, uh, people, very, very credible sighting with lots of witnesses happened over a United Airlines gate. And what was Air United Airlines? They were the first to cover it up. They were shutting it down. They were not uh, completely honest in their initial responses to it. Uh, this is well documented by a Chicago uh, Tribune um, writer and uh, who did a great job. I mean, he was not a UFO writer. He was just a travel writer. And he was like, holy, holy moly, this is a very legit thing. So yeah, they tried to squash it probably for that same reason that you were talking about. Getting back to Project Blue Book, you had a great point about how they said this doesn't pose a threat because they were trying to say this isn't anything. But at the same right. time, when they, when they said they're closing Project Blue Book, there was a memo that came out from, uh, I think it was even a general 
And uh, he said, that's okay. The important cases are reported up the ladder separately anyway. So any of those cases that perhaps did pose a threat were not reported through Project Blue Book. Uh, Also, we know that they've been lying to us all along. All of us, you know, this this Pentagon UFO project has existed since 2007. Right. Yet all of our FOIA requests or requests to any branch of the military has told us, no, we haven't cared about UFOs since 1969. Even when we have releases of official documents showing a UFO investigation, we're like, hey, there's this document I got via FOIA. What do you guys have to say about this? No, we haven't been investigating UFOs. That's not my question. Obviously, you've been investigating UFOs. I've got a document here. My question is, what was the result? Who investigated it? What did you think? No, we haven't been. You know, we've been lied to this whole time. And that could be what is um, kind of inspiring this uh, response by the Senate Intelligence Committee right now. Lou Elizondo said he came out because he was trying to get this information up the ladder. He knew General Mattis, uh, the Secretary of Defense. He worked for him, but his people would not let Lou bring any UFO stuff to him. They, uh, They wouldn't let him bring it up. Chris Mellon says he helped them to get that information up the ladder and they failed. So they decided to go elsewhere, kind of do an end run and go to the media. And Elizondo resigned. They got their story out in the New York Times. And now it's resulted in this. And so uh, Chris Mellon has said there is an attitude in the Senate Intelligence Committee that, hey, why didn't you guys ever tell us about this? You're supposed to brief us on everything you guys are doing. Why did you not brief us on this? Now we want answers, which vindicates Elizondo because they said, uh, you know, uh, that's what Elizondo's goal was. He said he believed they wanted this information and he was right. And so uh, they could be looking back at the history and saying, look, the Air Force has been lying to us all along. They've been saying there's nothing to this. Now, all of a sudden, we're finding out through the New York Times that wasn't true at all, that they have been very concerned or they have been looking into to this. And now the Senate's like, now we want answers. And they may even address that. Why have you been lying to the public for so long? It, it's about time. Um, and can I bring up another little item that was in the news? That's of course. Related? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Last week, President Trump. <laughs> ne- oh, ne- yeah. Okay. President Trump point. was interviewed by his son, Donald Trump Jr. It was a Father's Day themed chat. And near the end of it, Donald Jr. asked his dad if he might ever disclose information about the 1947 reported UFO crash near Roswell, New Mexico. Donald Jr. said, quote, before you leave office, would you let us know if there's aliens? Would you ever open up Roswell and let us know what's really going on out there? End quote. To which the president responded, quote, So many people ask me that question. It sounds like a cute question, but actually there are millions and millions of people that want to go there that want to see it. I won't talk to you about what I know about it, but it's very interesting. Roswell's a very interesting place with a lot of people that would like to know what's going on. Okay, end quote. Then when Don Jr. asked if his father is saying that he may declassify it, President Trump simply said, quote, I'll have to think about that one, right? 
And as he said that, I was watching, he looked off camera to his right as if to get some kind of confirmation from someone who was sitting there. And that's how the interview ended, as it was reported by NBC News. Now, I'm not going to sit here and offer uh, any kind of speculation as to what the president meant when he said that Roswell is a very interesting place or that he wouldn't tell his son what he knows about Roswell other than it's very interesting. Uh, and when Don Jr. pressed his father about declassifying the Roswell information before he leaves office, whenever that will be, when the president said that he'll have to think about it, what kind of a tease was that? Um, and who was it directed to? Only to his son or to anyone watching the interview who's interested in the subject of UFOs, aliens, Roswell? The other thing that I want to say about this is that while I watched the exchange between father and son, it made me think of the story that I wrote for the Huff Post back in 2016, when presidential hopeful Hillary Clinton dropped by the Jimmy Kimmel Live TV show. And they discussed, among other things, UFOs. When Kimmel asked if she became president, would she release UFO files? Mrs. Clinton said, quote, Yes, I'm going to do it. I would like us to go into those files and hopefully make as much of that public as possible. If there is something there, unless it's a threat to national security, I think we ought to share it with the public, end quote. And there's the catch. Because in the last couple of years, obviously, all of us, the public has been hearing about and seeing videos showing close encounters that the Navy jet fighter pilots have had with unexplained flying objects. Um, part of the documentation that's come out about these events includes officials declaring that some of the UAP encounters could very well indicate a threat to our national security. So in the end, Mrs. Clinton would probably not have released sensitive UFO files if she had won the election. And now President Trump will most likely not do that either because of the national security implications. But one final thing about that that I, I realized, in both cases, Mrs. Clinton and President Trump, both of them were very aware of the millions of citizens out there who want to know more about UFOs. Even President Trump said millions and millions of people want to know. They, they want to know about UFOs, but, but you know, if you easily substitute the word citizens in that sentence for the words registered voters, yeah. then we'd get millions and millions of registered voters would want to know more about UFOs and who might be more apt, well, who, who might be more apt to vote for someone come election day to these registered voters who are interested yeah. in UFOs. There's, there's a catch. Yeah, I think that this is a really important aspect to all of this is the politicizing of it uh, and the politics of it. Um, the Senate and the senators are political animals more than anything else. Uh, in the, the TTSA Talks, Chris Mellon, which is an amazing interview. I, I really think people should listen to that. Tom DeLong interviewing Chris Mellon. Um, you know, he talked about this and about how you know, the majority, vast majority of the work that senators are doing are on their campaigns. They've got to work on getting reelected. And that unfortunately, that takes up 
most of their time rather than actually being able to run the country. And even uh, at some of these briefings, you know, they're not able to pay much attention or do much about what's going on. Uh, so I think that's an important aspect. But I agree with you 100%. My take on what the president said there is that he's playing from the John Podesta the playbook. And um, I know I plug this, but I think it's fair because I'm very proud of it. But that Jimmy Kimmel interview that you just mentioned, when John Podesta's emails were leaked via WikiLeaks, right. there was an email from her, her one of her head of staff yeah. who said, why does Jimmy Kimmel want to talk about UFOs in this upcoming interview? And somebody said, because Bill and John have a history of, of being interested in UFOs. And one of the stories they linked to was my story about John and Podesta's, uh, J John Podesta and Bill Clinton's history in UFOs. Sure. No time to go into that right now. Maybe I'll do another Rojas report just about that. But my point is, John Podesta was very interested in UFOs. And so is Bill Clinton. But I don't think, like you, that that was their driving intent when Hillary Clinton was doing those things. John Podesta was pushing Hillary Clinton to talk about UFOs. But this is during a campaign. Right. These guys are savvy people. Everything they're doing is a calculation on how is this going to get my candidate into the White House. Yeah. I think what you're saying is exactly right. They were trying to appease the UFO lobby, who I believe they thought was a conspiratorial group who were probably leaning towards Trump. And they thought maybe this is a way to get into some of those people to say, hey, you guys are into UFOs. So is Hillary. You know, she's got a whole history of UFO investigation. So you guys have to, you guys should vote for her. I really see this Trump thing as a play on the same thing. Hint some UFO stuff so we can get these UFO guys on board with our campaign. Exactly. It's a total exact same, same thing. In fact, here's a great question somebody asked, and I think it's a very fair question because what about the politics of this announcement? What's going to happen there? I think it's a great point. There's a guy on the internet, Adam Kehoe, who is, uh, people should watch. He's writing Medium articles. He's great. And he did an analysis and he, and, and he said, watch out, guys, because here's what's going to happen because this is what happens in politics. And he's exactly right that there's going to be some delineations here. Whatever happens with this UFO thing, there's going to be finger pointing. This was your fault. And there's also going to be people trying to take credit. Look what I did. Like a Marco Rubio saying, look what I did. Or maybe even the president saying, look, during my administration, we asked for UFO questions. So this person asked uh, G Harlequin, funny how this Senate hearing is being initiated during the next election campaign. Do you think it's an attempt by Donald Trump to gain the UFO vote? I don't think so. We're going to ask Brian Bender about this. Uh, I'll leave that up because that's the topic. I'm going to ask Brian Bender about this when I interview him in about an hour. But uh, I think Marco Rubio, from what I understand, from what I've heard in the background, has a real genuine interest. I think that the Senate Intelligence Committee got this briefing and they really are like, why didn't we know about this? We need to know about this. There, I know there's got to be some political thought to it because there always is. Number one thought, how is this going to affect my electability? And that could be why Marco Rubio is really pushing for the public end to this so he can justify why he's doing this so he doesn't take a hit. Um, 
when it comes to his voters. But yeah. you're right. Top of mind is going to be the who are the registered voters that are into UFOs and and who are the ones who will not vote for me because I'm asking about UFOs. <laughs> I know. And and on it goes. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, and I, on a kind of a related topic, they're all related. Uh, a few weeks ago, I spoke with um, former Air Force Colonel Charles Halt on my radio show. And he's very vocal in his criticisms of how the military handles UFO cases. Uh, specifically, he suggests that the government and perhaps other nations as well uh, are part of a UFO cover-up that involves a secret agency that's really overseeing all UFO related things. Uh, that he says it's a, an agency that receives classified information from the so-called three-letter organizations like CIA, FBI, DOD, NSA, etc., and and that they don't know what the other agencies are gathering and passing on to this alleged super-secret place. In fact, uh, Captain uh, Salas on my show last night refers to this as a cabal. It's not just an agency; it's a cabal, and this whole thing—it's—it's like it's. Is it a science fiction movie? No, this is reality because really, who's pulling the strings? Not just in our government, we, we can't forget this is an international issue. And, and so if we assume that all the leaders of all the, the nations know that there are strange objects operating in their skies, not just in America, then everyone must be concerned to some degree on some level. And and so is it the United Nations that they're doing this under? Perhaps not. Colonel Hall thinks, no, it's, it's above national boundaries. It's another organization um, that's gathering this. And again, I'm, I'm still wondering, and I still ask the same question, of, of this cabal, who's in charge? Who's the leader of this so-called cabal and nobody has an answer to that but boy it's a it's a chilling thought i think i think so too i just don't believe in a cabal i don't think it's a realistic idea i think that all of these people are too uh disconnected uh if there were a cabal you by trying to control something like this with all of these disparate different organizations scattered across the world uh you would be exposing yourself uh, and if you wanted to remain secret, you couldn't do that. So I don't really buy that. I do believe that there could be disinformation. There's got to be disinformation campaigns going on. I think that's a real blind spot for the UFO community that we haven't been really good at researching that. I feel that when I have done research, I have been stonewalled, for instance, in my research of the Air Force Office of Special Investigations uh, agent who in the 80s released fake documents that have uh, really established a lot of the UFO mythology out there. Uh, I, I definitely, I got some information, but was lied to uh, when I was gathering that information. So there is a disinformation going on, but what disinformation, and it would make sense that it would be, I think, a tool that would be used by some people. So uh, I think that's another area that we're going to need to get into, especially if we have more access. And I think that would be a great 
question, and it could be something yeah. on the mind of the Senate committee. Why have you been lying to the public about this topic? And what have these lies been? Have there been disinformation campaigns uh, against U.S. citizens, which is not something they're supposed to do regarding this topic, even if it's innocent, even if it's, well, innocent in the way that we don't believe there's UFOs, but we wanted people to believe there were UFOs. I mean, in this document that revealed Area 51, uh, you know, it's a history of Area 51. There are U-2 engineers who have said in there that uh, they were happy with people believing that U-2s were UFOs because the, t the project was secret and they didn't want people to right. know. They encouraged that. Uh, you know, Nick Pope admitted to you that uh, they had employed what he called spin and dirty tricks in the UK to throw uh, the media off the trail. So this sort of thing has been going on, um, but to what degree I think is really important to know. So I don't think there's a central cabal, but I do think there are a lot of various departments. There's Chile who's doing great work. Uh, they have gone so far, and I don't think any other country's done this, to get a lot of officials together to determine we don't think these things are malevolent um, in any way. They think that they're observing. Uh, but I think there are governments. We shouldn't underestimate the uh, the dysfunction and uh, the, I, I forget what uh, John Alexander calls it, but uh, something around incompetence that can happen, not just in our government, but every government. Right. And there could be governments that are hiding their head in the sand. They just don't want to deal with the topic. Whereas there are others who are probably being very proactive about the topic. So it probably goes across the gamut there. It, it's all great stuff. It's up to date. Uh, it, it seems like when you and I get together like this, we, we never <laughs> have a lack for, gee, what just happened this week or last week or in the last couple of weeks is always something. And it would be nice, really, finally, if it does lead down some trail where where the public is a beneficiary of all of this, all this investigation and information. And uh, I've always been um, interested in and a proponent of disclosure. I'm not convinced that ultimate UFO disclosure will happen in my lifetime. Uh, I think it would be great. Uh, I don't know if the public really can handle all of it, if it's all thrown out at us at once, maybe it really has to come out little by little so people get acclimated to the idea that we're being visited by someone, something. I don't care who it is, where they come from, how they get here. I don't care. I'm satisfied after all these years of studying it. I'm satisfied that Earth is being visited by something. And I think it's a wonderful thing. They don't seem to be here to eat us. <laughs> I, I don't think that that's the, the, the problem. I don't think that they're here to take us over, as in an H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds scenario. But I do believe that there is something going on, and, and, uh, and I'll continue to, to report on it, as I'm sure you will, because it's the kind of thing that we can't get away. We just can't walk away from this. And we want people to know the truth, whatever piece of that truth there is. Yeah, I'm commenting here. Uh, I, I think another point, because a lot of people are jumping in on the disinfo thing. Um, and it, I think it's important because uh, we don't 
really thoroughly investigate this possibility and what might be disinformation. Um, and someone just made a point here too, is uh, that I won't name names kind of, but essentially that perhaps someone involved with To The Stars is is a disinformationist. I don't know that I would go that far because I know these guys mm -hmm. uh, and it's, I don't know, it's possible, anything's possible. But I think it would be very likely that they would be targets of disinformation. I personally, for instance, especially lately, feel that some of the information and or beliefs, and I've got to say beliefs because none of these are things that are unproven, that have been shared by some of those guys is, uh, is very dubious. Um, I respect all of them so much, but like I said before, anybody could get things wrong. So yeah. why are they talking about these really dubious things um, and it could be that they themselves are victims of disinformation. I think that would be very likely. I think in my investigation or in my report that I did earlier um, this week, I demonstrated how this group of people with uh, ATIP and with To The Stars, it's not just, you know, it was kind of framed as this one guy, Lou Elizondo, coming out with all this information and he's probably a liar or a disinformationist. No, Lou was working with Bigelow, uh, and all of this group of people who we have been working with and writing about for decades, decades. This is a group of people who have been working on researching the paranormal and trying to do official projects with the government uh, to research or to develop these sort of paranormal programs uh, with some success at times. But they've been doing this for decades. So if there were disinformation campaigns along the way, they would be the perfect targets. They would be the people you would go after. And it's entirely possible that they've fallen for some of these disinformation tricks. Sure. I think that's something that we have to keep in mind. I think that we get targeted. I get really weird information. And I think a lot of ufologists do where they say, I've got a secret source who says he's an admiral, or I've got a secret source who says he's a captain in the Navy, and I can't tell you who he is, but here's what he's telling me. And then they share all this wild information. You know, we've heard this in the UFO community for years. I think they really are talking to people. I get these emails and messages. I ignore them personally, and I do get, you feel the same way, you get frustrated. If you're not willing to go on the record, then quit wasting my time, because right. I'm not gonna go down this rabbit hole. But uh, I, I think that's the way you have to treat it. Otherwise you could easily get sidetracked. I agree. I agree. People, that's what disinformation is all about. It's spreading misinformation. And unless you're an expert on such matters, it's it's hard to tell uh, who's saying what and what could they possibly, how could they benefit from the spread of information? And it brings me back to the original question or the, the question that I always ask. Again, who's in control? Who's pulling the strings about all of this all around the world? I, I keep reminding myself that it's not just an American phenomenon that we're talking about. The, the phenomenon uh, is is everywhere. Uh, that that was my little little slight plug for an upcoming movie called The Phenomenon. <laughs> yeah. So we've got to wrap up, and that's a good segue into doing that uh, to talk about you and what you're working on and uh, where people can get information. You just mentioned a, a super exciting project you have been working on, and that's this uh, documentary with James Fox. Uh, I know 
you might not be able to share much, but I guess that uh, it's upcoming. It, it is upcoming. The, fi the film is done. Uh, James has been working on it for a little over six years now. I spent the last three years working on it as, as one of the producers and writers of the film. It, it's going to be, um, we're going to be focusing on, we're not saying that we think that what's happening about UFOs is extraterrestrial. There are hints of that, uh, not necessarily from us, but from the people who we've interviewed. And we, you and I have made several references to some of those people. Christopher Mellon is in the movie. Senator Harry Reid is in the movie. George Knapp. Uh, we've got an amazing clip from, uh, from President Clinton from a, a speech he once made that was very serious where he talked about the possibility that sitting presidents aren't always told everything, especially about UFOs. That was really interesting to hear him say that. Mm. We've got that in the film. Um, the attitude that we're taking is one of the reasons why the governments of the world haven't really been totally transparent about UFOs is simply because they don't know the answer. They don't know the full truth. They may know certain aspects of things that are going on, but the whole truth may still be kind of hard to focus on. So with that, we've got a variety of high-level people. You mentioned John Podesto. He's in the film. We've got people talking about it. And, and what we're hoping is that even debunkers of UFOs in general will come away from this movie going, having at least one, I didn't know that kind of moment when, when they see this. We've been very careful about who we've interviewed and what's in the film. Now, originally, we were going to uh, we were going to have the premiere of it uh, in early September in Los Angeles, but this thing called the coronavirus hit, and and now nobody's showing any movies anywhere unless you can uh, fit only fifty people into a theater, and so we're it, it's still on hold, uh, and we're just we're in limbo right now, waiting for the right moment to release this and we want to release it. We're going crazy. We, we want people to see this thing. Uh, and so it will, it will happen for any of your listeners or in the audience who are interested in seeing the official trailer of the film. If you haven't seen the trailer, uh, just go to this site. It's called the phenomenon, which is the name of the movie, the phenomenon film.com. Let me repeat that thephenomenonfilm.com. It'll take you to a nice page to give you some background information about the film. There'll be a lot of behind the scenes photos of what it was like putting the film together. And uh, there'll be the, the full trailer there for you to look at. Uh, it, it's like, like all trailers, it's meant to be a tease, but it's pretty good tease because we're not just going to present something that we can't <laughs> fully back up when the whole movie comes out. I promise you that. Does that look right on the screen there? The phenomenon. Phenomenonfilm.com. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay. So there you go. And then, of course, um, uh, yeah, I know I miss popcorn. That's the only time I eat popcorn is at the movies because I can't resist it. And it's not part of my diet. So I don't you remember years, years and years ago, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the movie critics, Siskel and Ebert, uh, Gene Siskel used to always say that whenever he'd go into a movie or a screening room to look at a new movie, he always brought a briefcase and he was allowed to bring it in. 
because he was a, a critic, so he was there to see movies. But then he would go there and he would sit down and he would open up his briefcase and he'd pull out his ha- homemade popcorn. How <laughs> <laughs> funny. I didn't know that. I met him too several times, but yeah. uh, nice guy. Uh, and then uh, otherwise, you are also doing your podcast um, on KGRA. KGRA, uh, uh, it's on Thursday nights between 8 p.m. and 10 p.m. Eastern Time, wherever you happen to be. And if you if you happen to miss it, uh, the live broadcast, then the, the next day uh, on the archives, the, uh, the, the actual podcast version of it is available for free. And so it's out there. And, and like you, always trying to come up with really, really interesting guests uh, and to, to, to put out there. It's fun to do. It's fun to work on. And I learn a lot. This is for me. I, I feel like I'm going back to school with every person that I interview. And I like that. I'm just glad mm-hmm. I take a test like I used to have to take in school. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is just great to do. And, and, and I enjoy it. And I, I'm sure you do too. And, and, and I love coming on your shows. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the next time we can do our year-end UFO report. But we won't be doing that till what, December maybe? <laughs> yeah. So oh. it'll probably come quickly, half a year away. But yeah, yeah. Uh, it's going to be an interesting one. I, I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of uh, really great breaking news that will be coming on a weekly basis. I, I, I make a prediction. When, okay. we do, when we do our next year-end report many of the things that you and i will choose to talk about we just talked about in this podcast (laughs) yeah i think you're probably right (laughs) and hopefully some results although one thing we didn't mention as far as the results is that the report isn't due until march 2021 so uh even if this does pass it's going to be quite some time till we see that report, well, but, which but, will give us more news next year. Right. But at least in our year-end report of 2020, it will have been, because it already is, one of the big UFO stories so far this year. Yeah, exactly. For sure. Well, thank you so much for being here, Lee. Thank you. Thank you, Alejandro, my friend. Um, as I say to everyone at the end of my show, please stay safe, stay healthy, and please keep your distance. <laughs> <laughs> It's a great comment. Usually, I just say at the end of my show, like I'll do now to wrap this up, adios, muchachos.